trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there, and welcome to the show. So glad you could join me today as we revel in wrong thinking. You know, I, I've been doing some soul searching here the last few days. No, it wasn't because my doctor told me to, but thank you for asking. Um, actually, I just have to do a gut check every so often to make sure that what I'm doing is not just piling on fear. Look, it's been a rough year, right? And I know there there are not a few people who think, uh, if you think 2020 was bad, why you're going to be wishing on, wishing for 2020. You're going to look for it as the good old days once 2021 rolls around. Now, once upon a time, I was that kind of a pessimist. I'm not anymore, but uh, I'm also I'm enough of a realist that, yeah, it's uh, it's been a tough year. And there is uh, there's a lot on all of our plates. Uh, uh, you know, why is it, though? This is the, this is why I have to do the gut check. As much as I want to share useful information with you that helps you better understand the world, better understand the places where you can make a difference, regardless of how much influence you think you have or not. I have to be careful because I have a tendency. There's like this gravitational pull when it's bad news. Well, <laughs> here's another one, you know, that uh, that I feel like I got to share this. Now, I guess the other extreme would be, uh, OK, we're going to do another uh, another story about uh, a cute puppy that uh, someone hugged. And <laughs> so you can you can take it too far the other direction as well. I'm trying to strike that perfect balance between people coming away going, that was really informative, or that's a that's an interesting way of looking at things, versus, oh, crap, <laughs> he's on another tear. Well, thankfully, uh, there, are, there are greater thinkers and greater writers out there than me. Barry Brownstein is one of those guys who just has, I, I always find a very positive take. Whatever it is he's commenting on, I come away with a sense that, uh, huh, I'm actually better for having read that as opposed to, you know, I'm just looking for a hole to crawl into and, and hide myself. So when I saw the title of his latest essay, There is a More Beautiful Melody Than Fear, I knew this, this is one I've got to share with my listeners. I, I've got to share this with you because fear has been the driving force for so much of this year. And he takes a, Barry takes a very interesting look at why it is that we fixate on fear, not just us. But look, you know, much, much of the mass media is little more than a fear delivery system. Look at the way that virtually everything related to covid is reported to us. And there's a good, healthy dose of fear, you know, added to the top, you know, like a like whipped cream on a Sunday. So his article starts by asking the question, why is all COVID-19 news bad news? It's actually the title of a working paper by Bruce Sasserdote, Ranjan Segal, and Molly Cook, recently published by the National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER. The authors found that media coverage of COVID-19 has been much more negative in the U.S. than in international media. Huh. They found 91% of stories by U.S. major media outlets are negative in tone, 
versus 54% for non-U.S. major sources and 65% for scientific journals. Now, he says COVID-19 is a serious matter, but that doesn't explain the negativity. The authors found media negativity is unresponsive to changing trends in COVID-19 cases or the political leanings of the audience. Fox News, by the way, almost as negative as CNN. Stories of increasing COVID-19 cases outnumber stories of decreasing cases by a factor of 5.5, even during periods when new cases are declining. And media coverage has been impervious to good news. Significantly, the authors of the NBER study found that consumers demand negative news. Uh Uh-oh. They write, consistent with the existing literature, our results suggest that major U.S. outlets publish unusually negative COVID-19 stories in response to reader demand and interest. Just out of curiosity, were you expecting that? I want to say that I was, but it still kind of took me by surprise. And what Barry Brownstein is saying here is news stories are negative because so many of us have a negative mindset. People seek stories of hopelessness because stories of despair reflect their state of mind. And many don't want their fearful mindset to be interrupted. He says being attracted to negativity is not a recent phenomenon. The reasons why the fear response in 2020 has been stronger than usual merit our serious consideration. And from here, he talks about negativity bias and asks, have you noticed how much more an adverse an adverse event affects you than a positive event? In their journal entitled Negativity Bias, Negativity Dominance and Contagion, Paul Rosen and Edward B. Rosiman, Roisman, rather, report on the well-researched principle of negativity bias. In most situations, negative events are more salient, potent, dominant in combinations, and generally efficacious than positive events. Now, I had to dig out my thesaurus to to make sure that I understood what they were saying, but I, I think what they're describing here is um, 10 people can can say something to you, nine of them pay you a compliment, but one person says, Sorry about your haircut. That's the one that's going to stick with you, right? You love the. It feels good when somebody says something nice, but just one negative comment will undo 90% positive comments. In another article titled Bad is Stronger Than Good, famed psychology professor Roy Baumeister, writing with colleagues, observes bad emotions, bad parents, and bad feedback have more impact than good ones, and bad information is processed more thoroughly than good. Bad impressions and bad stereotypes are quicker to form and more resistant to disconfirmation than good ones, end quote. So no wonder many are drawn to and seem hypnotized by negative COVID-19 news. Baumeister and co-authors write events that are negatively balanced, in other words, losing money, being abandoned by friends, receiving criticism, will have a greater impact on the individual than positively balanced events of the same type. Winning money, gaining friends, receiving praise. Now, there's been hopeful news about COVID-19. Mortality rates are low among not-at-risk populations. Yet when those not-at-risk project their existential fear of death onto COVID-19, fear will remain strong. Now, Barry Brownstein warns you won't be able to think your way out of a negative spiral. The rational part of your brain takes a back seat to negativity. In their book, The Power of Bad, 
Roy Baumeister and John Tierney write research tracking workers' mood moods during the day shows that a setback has between two and five times as much emotional impact as a positive event. Emotions make us less rational and therefore more susceptible to the power of bad. And once you're primed to focus on the negative, your mind keeps looking that way in the future. Baumeister and Tierney give us this example. If, say, they're given identical weather forecasts for London and Madrid, a 10% chance of rain in each city, they'll typically think it's more likely to rain in London. It makes no sense mathematically, but the rain seems likelier in London because it's easier to envision wet weather in England than in Spain. The more familiar a scenario is, the more images of it that we've seen or imagined, the more likely it seems. And so Barry Brownstein asks, what about seeking positive news online? Well, negativity bias will likely hijack your hijack your attention to focus on negative information from the same book. People planning a vacation spend more time studying negative reviews and are more influenced by them than by positive reviews. And people are swayed even by negative reviews that don't identify any specific problem. An analysis of sales trends at Amazon and Barnes and Noble revealed the familiar negativity effect for both fiction and nonfiction books. A one-star review did more to hurt sales than a five-star review did to boost sales. In Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman observes we all know that a friendship may take years to develop, that may take years to develop, can be ruined by a single action. Now, Rosen and Roisman put it this way. One of the best generic descriptions of this relative power of negative contamination is embedded in an old Russian adage. A spoonful of tar can spoil a barrel of honey, but a spoonful of honey does nothing for a barrel of tar. Now, there are asymmetries in building and destroying social norms and institutions. In his essay, Individualism, True and False, Friedrich Hayek warns, while it may not be difficult to destroy the spontaneous formations, which are indispensable bases of a free civilization, it may be beyond our power deliberately to reconstruct such a civilization once these foundations are destroyed. Corrosion of the rule of law during COVID-19 will not be easily constructed, reconstructed rather, in the, pro- the post-COVID era. Now that may sound like bad news, but I want you to hang on. Okay, this is the cliffhanger moment. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. I want you to hear the positive side here. And Barry Brownstein spells it out beautifully that we do have alternatives. Sometimes we just don't recognize it. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Ah, man, there's some serendipity at work here. I've been sharing this article from Barry Brownstein. There is a more beautiful melody than fear. And I have definitely experienced my uh, my share of fear, as have a lot of people this year. All the uncertainty, all the disappointments, all of the just just in your face. The world is going to shift and like it or not, you're coming along for the ride. It's been really uncomfortable. And I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. And so I, I thank you for... I thank you for being patient with me as I try to work through those times where I get a little bit hung up on the negative stuff. 
But I love the message of this essay from Barry Brownstein. Because we do have some options. Our mind tends to gravitate towards the negative. We seize on the negative. It's what tends to catch our attention. But it doesn't have to be that way. And he explains why here in just a moment. When it comes to human social behavior, the question arises, why were our reactions so much more negative during 2020 than during previous pandemics like the 1968 pandemic or the 1957 pandemic? Robert Prechter may be one of the most important thinkers whose work on social moods you may have not encountered. His socionomics, his socionomics, not socioeconomics theory, has some answers that explain why the reaction to COVID-19 has been so different from past pan- pandemics and why the NBER study found people are demanding negative news stories. Prechter has tracked trends of rising and falling optimism across societal periods. And Prechter points to a rising social mood as associated with hope and at the peak, hubris. A declining social mood is associated with fear and at the nadir, despair. His findings are counterintuitive, challenging, and yet illuminating. And currently, we are in a period of declining social mood. In his book, The Wave Principle of Human Social Behavior and the New Science of Socionomics, Prechter explores his hypothesis that it is endogenous mass psychology, social mood, that governs events. Prechter theorizes that the trends and extent of social mood help determine the character of social action, including the economic, political, and cultural. To argue, as we typically do, that events drive mood, Prechter explains, is to confuse cause and effect. Now, Barry Brownstein says, surely some may reason 2020 has been a year of despair because of unexpected exogenous events. People have died from COVID-19. Public policies intended to mitigate COVID-19 have undermined well-being. To argue that feelings of despair set the conditions for both negative news, bias, and support for draconian policies imposed by politicians might seem disorienting. In their 2007 Journal of Behavioral Finance article, The Financial Economic Dichotomy and Social Behavioral Dynamics, The Socionomic Perspective, Prechter, along with his colleague Wayne Parker, explains how the basic impulse, the basic human impulse of hurting is at work. They write, under conditions of uncertainty, people tend to herd. This herding is unconscious, non-rational, and follows endogenously regulated fluctuations in the social mood. Now, maybe you don't consider yourself a herd animal. So you're asking, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm rational. I don't herd. Well, in the wave principle of human social behavior, Prechter explains why you may avoid herding, but the vast majority won't. Quote, in general, social mood change need not necessarily involve every individual. A person is drawn into the unconscious, unreasoning, psychologically interdependent social dynamic when he allows himself to be influenced primarily by the emotional state of others rather than by independent research, adequate knowledge and other rationality. Most people are too busy and unmotivated to fulfill such a tall order. Even those committed to rationality find these requirements difficult to fulfill even in a tailor-made situation even in tailor-made situations and impossible to fulfill in all situations. End quote. Don't underestimate, Prechter writes, the power of the sum of people's shared impulses. 
to overwhelm the power of logical yet often conflicting entreaties from various individuals. Now, Barry Brownstein explains that how Prechter explores how emotions are governed by the more primitive limbic system of the human brain. And he explains the limbic system wants what it wants now. In contrast, the rational part of the brain, the neocortex, plans in terms of achieving long-range values and needs time to mull over what's going on or what the consequence of the action will be. Prechter explains that the emotive limbic system can disarm the rational neocortex. Further, he explains challenges to the limbic system's feelings are typically met with fierce resistance, even if that challenge comes from reality itself. So Prechter advises us not to underestimate the power and speed of the limbic system. Fear will produce powerful emotions demanding we be protected from COVID-19 at any cost. Even in the face of economic of evidence of economic destruction, herding will generate continued support for lockdowns due to negativity bias. The aversion to getting sick is much more compelling than a positive vision of a robust economy accompanied by individuals taking steps to boost their immune system while also protecting the most vulnerable members of society. I don't know about you, but this explains a lot. If nothing else, maybe you're starting to get the picture. The, the people who are advocating for lockdowns, the ones who are advocating for masks, the ones who feel like we're not doing enough. They're not stupid. They're not evil. They're afraid. And that's why they cling to those remedies that are being proffered, even if those remedies carry some really ugly baggage with them. Barry Brownstein then talks about composing a more beautiful melody. This is the payoff right here. If the social mood is waning, he writes, Americans will be more susceptible to beguiling nonsense from authoritarian and hypocritical politicians. Lessons from Greek mythology might offer a lifeline. In Greek mythology, the sirens would lure sailors to doom with their beguiling songs. Unable to resist the call, sailors would crash on rocky coastlines. Odysseus resisted temptation by ordering his crews to his crew rather to stuff their ears with beeswax and tie him to the mast no matter how hard he begged odysseus instructed his crew to ignore his pleas the crew did and odysseus's ship avoided the siren's call as effectively orpheus saved jason and the argonaut ship by composing an even more beautiful melody faced with an attractive alternative the sirens had no power when we no longer view ourselves as victims of external events, we take more responsibility and act accordingly. Tying America to the mast would mean returning to the limited government envisioned by the founding fathers. Gene Healy, in his book, The Cult of the Presidency, explains when the president raises the battle cry, he can usually count on substantial numbers of American opinion leaders to cheer him on. Now, Healy wrote his book before COVID-19, but his work and the work of Robert Higgs explain why government expands during every crisis. A more beautiful melody would be songs of liberty that remind us of how human beings flourish and what free people can achieve. Such songs must be plentiful and unforgettable, or the siren's call of authoritarians will rule the day during a social mood winter. Quickly, I want to give you an example of what it looks like, though, for someone to, to, to write a more beautiful melody. This is from a friend on Facebook. 
He says, been feeling kind of grumpy lately. All this COVID garbage gets me down. My welder was running poorly, so I took it in. Cost $750 to fix, but business is a little slow. Getting on the freeway after picking it up, and a guy is on the shoulder with the tongue of his travel trailer broken 75% of the way off. It's dragging on the ground, literally. He says, I pull up, jump out, tell him I will weld it up for him right there. I had all the material needed to put it back together right. Took two hours to get him and his elderly mom back on the road. I figured out what I really needed to feel happy was to help someone out. He says, I would have done it for nothing, but he wouldn't hear of it. It's going to be a great day. That's how it works there. (laughs) Are you feeling bummed? See if you can find a way to serve somebody. I promise it will snap you out of it. Might open up some other possibilities as well. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Hey, by the way, I will have a link to that marvelous article by Barry Brownstein in the show notes, which you can access at thebrianhydeshow.com. Just look for the show notes for Wednesday, December 9th. A date which will... What? Oh, that one's already taken? Okay. Never mind. Anyway, um, okay. I have to tell you, I, I've watched with uh, with some interest and maybe a small amount of trepidation the, uh, the fallout from the November 3rd election. And for the record, I'm going to tell you, I have a really hard time believing that Joe Biden legitimately won the presidential race. Um, There's just a lot of stuff that doesn't seem to add up. And and I hope I've made it clear. I'm not coming at this from the standpoint of someone who thinks, well, Donald Trump is the only one who can save our country and he's the only one that can do what needs to be done. If I express a preference for seeing him win, it's probably more from a desire not to see those smug social justice warriors get their way. (laughs) And I'm sorry, that's really a petty thing, but uh, I'm just, you know, they're insufferable when they're on the losing side. They're even worse when they're on the winning side. Um, There's just I I have no desire to to see what what they have in mind to inflict on the rest of us for our own good. I've I've really I've I've had a belly full of their toxic self-importance. I'm just I'm not not interested in it. But I am concerned about what is going on with the election system itself. And I know that there's a lot of frustration, and it's not just on the political left, okay? I'm in the political left, the news media, why do people even challenge this? I mean, YouTube took the the measure of, they're, they're now banning anything questioning the results of the 2020 election. That's a bold move there, YouTube. But hey, you know, I guess, uh, you know, if, if you can't handle somebody questioning what you say are the official results, I don't know what to tell you. Nonetheless, even on the political right, though, and, and some within the political middle, there, there are, you know, libertarians who are like, gosh, I wish people would stop with this. You know, Trump deserves to win and Trump won and it was fraud and whatnot. And I get it. There's look, it was a contest. And there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. Nobody wants to be the loser. I get that. 
but I'm less concerned about who won and more concerned about was that system manipulated? And if it's something as simple as, uh, I mean, I've seen a number of different reports. Look, I haven't held the evidence in my hands, so I'm not, a, I'm not an investigator that can tell you, you know, yes, indeed, that uh, algorithm gave 26% more votes to Biden than it did to Trump when an equal number of votes for each of them was fed into it. I don't know. I just know that there's enough at stake that it wouldn't surprise me if someone was gaming the system. And if they're gaming the system, we've got a problem, folks. That's that's a big issue, because it means whoever is in power from this point forward will be able to effectively just, oh, look, hey, we won. What what a surprise. I mean, they, they won't even have to. I mean, come on. Saddam Hussein held elections. The 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 Kim family from North Korea. Yes, they hold elections. Despots around the world hold elections, and wow, they win by an incredible margin. Are we ready to admit that our system is going to be just as much for show as theirs? I thought Jacob Hornberger had a really good take on this. And if you've been frustrated with the people who are asserting, hey, fraud has taken place, I think you should consider the the valuable service that is being done. Unfortunately, a lot of people have a tough time untangling themselves from the the partisan consideration. And we all know people who qualify, well, you know, I like my neighbor, even though I think he voted for Obama. Or, you know, they, they, they qualify everything in terms of do I line up with you politically or not? That's the danger. That's the poison of politics. But whether you agree with them or not, they are doing you a favor. Here's how Jacob Hornberger explains it. He says, ever since President Trump and his supporters began alleging that Joe Biden won the presidential election through fraud, the mainstream press almost in unison has been accusing them of subverting America's democratic system. They say that Trump should simply accept the election results, concede the election to Biden and congratulate him. Otherwise, they assert allegations of fraud might cause Americans to lose faith in their much vaunted, honest democratic election system. To which Jacob Hornberger says, really? Well, if election people are so honest, then why are there poll watchers on election day at virtually every precinct across America? He says, please don't tell me that poll watchers are only there to watch for errors in counting ballots. I won't believe you. Poll watchers from both parties are there also to make sure there is no cheating going on. That's because cheating is always a distinct possibility in elections not only in foreign countries, but also right here in the United States. He says, I've previously pointed out how Lyndon Johnson stole the 1948 U.S. Senate election in Texas from popular governor Coke Stevenson. If Johnson had not had a crony in South Texans, Texas rather fraudulently add 200 votes for Johnson onto the voting tallies several days after the election, Stevenson would have been elected senator and Johnson would never have been vice president or president. That might have meant that tens of thousands of American men would not have been sent to their meaningless deaths in a military intervention thousands of miles away from America. So he says, please don't tell me that Democrats or Republicans are so honest that they would never cheat when it comes to elections. Johnson cheated and it enabled him to win. Of course, at the time, those who were challenging the legitimacy of LBJ's election were accused of being something comparable to conspiracy theorists. And he says, let's not forget how John Kennedy won the presidency in 1960. 
His father used mafia friends to fraudulently win the state of Illinois, which enabled JFK to defeat Vice President Richard Nixon in the 1960 presidential race. Sure, those extreme anomalies in the Trump-Biden race could be just plain old extreme anomalies, but they could also be evidence of fraud. One thing is crystal clear, however. Although these, these extreme anomalies cry out for careful scrutiny, you're not going to get it from the mainstream press. Even from even before the election was over, the mainstream editorial writers and op-ed writers were singing in unison about Trump's baseless and false claims of fraud. How did they know that they're false and baseless without investigating whether they are false and baseless? And as a supposed independent mainstream press isn't investigating the possibility of their fraud and an ethical duty rather than sing song in unison that would please anyone who's engaged in fraud. Hornberger says, I like the fact that Trump and his supporters are actively investigating the possibility of fraud by closely examining the extreme anomalies that occurred in the election. And he says, I wish the mainstream press were doing it as well. If there was fraud. He says, I'm nonetheless skeptical that the investigators will be able to come up with evidence of it in the short amount of time that's allowed. Just as it was difficult to immediately prove that Johnson and Kennedy had prevailed in their elections through fraud. Sometimes election fraud isn't proven until years or even decades have passed. But at the very least, he says, the efforts by Trump and his supporters to keep things honest, to help keep things honest in future elections. That's what they're doing. If would-be cheaters know their actions will receive blind support from the mainstream press and the electorate, they will be more likely to cheat. On the other hand, if they know that there is likely to be an army of people closely examining the election, they will be less likely to try to cheat. He concludes by saying the mainstream press is wrong. What damages American democracy is not a fierce examination into the possibility of election fraud. What damages American democracy is the mainstream presses turning a blind eye to the possibility of election fraud and at the same time trying to pressure the American people into doing the same. Now, I don't know for sure. I don't know who Jacob Hornberger voted for. Um, I know he actually was making a run for the presidency. I don't think he was uh, he wasn't selected on the libertarian ticket. But um, I, I have a hard time believing that uh, Jacob cast his vote for Trump. He's not he is not cut from the cloth of someone who would support Donald Trump, not, you know, because of uh, necessarily partisan considerations, but just simply um, Jacob is a very principled man. He expects a certain amount of liberty from those things and those individuals and those causes to which he will lend his support. So don't let the fact that he is saying the Trump supporters and the fraud asserters are actually doing you a favor. Don't spin that into, oh, he's just a Trumper who's, you know, sore that his guy didn't get in. I think he's actually zeroed in on the crux of the matter, and that is if the system is being monkeyed with. If we are being screwed over on our ability to cast an honest vote, that's where the problem is. It's not in Donald Trump. It's not in Joe Biden. It's in those who would manipulate the system. And I do agree with him that uh, one of the best things of this is our mainstream press has gone ahead and fed what remains of its credibility into the shredder in a very decisive way. Thank you. 
Those of us who suspected it all along have just been waiting for you to make it official. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I did have a story here that, uh, let's see, yep, Zero Hedge. Now, look, I'm, I'm not trying to put too much faith in, oh, look, you know, the siren song, the, uh, this is the swan song, rather, of the mainstream media. They are, they are done for. But you have to admit, a lot of the mainstream sources have kind of burned the bridges that they once had. Here's, here's the headline. Newsmax ratings surge surpass Fox for the first time. This happened earlier this week, I believe on Monday. Newsmax beat Fox among the coveted 25 to 54-year-old demographic for the first time ever on Monday evening. Now, I know that's, you know, it's a far cry from, ah, well, finally, then we have a place where we can go and we can get uh, straight news no matter what. No, you still have to be responsible for propaganda proofing yourself. But this is a pretty strong indicator that the mass media's control, including Fox News, over the official narrative is starting to slip. Let's go to the phone. 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. All right. It's it's inexplicable silence once again. I probably have a telemarketer who's uh, who's got my number now. Um, every time I pick up, they just stay silent. That or Marcel Marceau is finally trying to call in. I understand he's been a fan of the show for some time. Let's go back to this article again from uh, from Zero Hedge. Do you realize that before November 3rd, neither one American news, OAN, nor Newsmax could come anywhere close to matching or surpassing the ratings from America's reigning king of cable, Fox News. The conservative-leaning news and opinion network that helped cultivate the base of GOP voters, which Trump rallied to victory in 2016. But Fox News has finally lost its crown. At this after Newsmax beat Fox News Monday for the first time ever. The ratings win comes amid a breakthrough in the Trump administration's push to challenge the election results in the court of public opinion to try and delegitimize Biden's presidency, just like how many on the left refused to accept Donald Trump as their president four years ago. And that battle at times has apparently impacted Fox's shares. Now, CNN's Brian Stelter, who uh, clearly or step, yeah, it's Stelter. That's it. Clearly likes to think of himself as the de facto reporter of record when it comes to covering the American media industry. The epitome of nasal gazing, naval gazing, rather, as far as we can tell, broke the news late Tuesday. Quote, before the election, Newsmax was not considered as a formidable competitor to Fox. It was mostly dismissed as one of a handful of wannabe challengers. CNN's Brian Stelter reports, but President Trump's loss on November 3rd changed cable TV calculus. Viewers who were frustrated when Fox admitted the truth of Trump's loss sought other options, and Newsmax and Kelly in particular offered a safe space in which Biden was not called president-elect and Trump was not yet defeated, end quote. Now, of course, many on the left are blaming Fox's fall from grace on the fact that it stood up to Trump by calling the vote for Biden, even as Supreme Court challenges and other questions remain unresolved. 
Trump's most loyal followers are likewise repudiating Fox and embracing Sinclair-owned Newsmax and OAN. Now, while this is only the first time that any Newsmax programming blocks has topped Fox, we imagine it won't be the last, particularly as Newsmax copies more and more of what worked at Fox while filtering out everything that didn't. So, I mean, if, if you're a news junkie, I'm glad you have some options. But I'm going to try to persuade you that, uh, you know what? You really don't need talking heads telling you what it all means. I think if there, if there was one place where I would try to, to, to bolster the confidence of the American people, it would be in this matter. You can figure things out. You are smart enough to study issues and come to an informed decision. And I think we're trained sometimes to doubt ourselves and to, to think, well, but you know, what, what can I do? I'm, I'm just one person and I'm not smart and I'm not an expert. And we've kind of been trained to think that way. Well, only an expert can really tell us what's going on. Well, experts haven't exactly had a banner year in 2020 either. A lot of the things that the experts have been advocating and telling us, oh, this is the way it has to be done, turned out to be wrong. And I don't say that to be mean or vindictive towards them. It's, look, they're human beings. I don't care how expert they happen to be. They're humans. They're fallible. They're dealing with limited amounts of knowledge, and they'll, they'll do the best they can under the circumstances. The big problem, as we see, comes when someone tries to make a decision or tries to implement a solution for everybody. The one-size-fits-all, we'll just hammer this down from the top approach. That's where we seem to get into trouble. I'm invigorated. And, and maybe it's because, I, I, I mean, look, I could be grossly overestimating, you know, whatever... You know, what little influence I have in the grand scheme of things. But I'm going to take a moment here and I, I, I want to I'm, I'm going to bear my soul to you for a moment. Two years ago, actually two years ago tomorrow. I was privileged to be part of the launch of the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Working with some of the most magnificent people that I will ever work with. And. You know, it sounds like it sounds lofty. Oh, so we, we built and launched a network and um, th it's hard to describe the amount of um, effort and troubleshooting and 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 problem solving and setbacks and and emotional investment and failure that goes into putting something like that together, especially when like me, it's not something you've ever done before. Now, there were a lot of people far smarter than me who helped, you know, to open the right doors, point me in the right direction. And, and you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm pleased and I'm very happy to have played one of the key roles in helping to launch that. And I remember a time as we were getting ready to, to test some of the equipment. I mean, we had, we had a pretty elaborate setup, you know, to try to, to work through about three different computers in two or three different locations and make it all work. And the very first time we tried to take it live, in the words of my friend, it blew up on the launch pad. And then, you know, okay, so you expect some failures. But there were some things that we just struggled and struggled to overcome. And the closer we got to that launch date and the harder we had worked, there, there came a reality. And, and one of the people who was so instrumental in helping me, um, you know, to, to pull this all together and to bring the right people all together in the same place and time 
quietly pulled me aside and said, look, if by some chance we can't get this thing to launch, we're going to have to pull the plug and, you know, go our separate ways and, and, uh, you know, pursue something else. And he, and he made sure that I understood that this is, you know, this is nothing personal. This is just a matter of business. If it's not going to work, there comes a point where we have to say, okay, this one didn't work. And then we move on to find something that does. Well, I'm happy to tell you it did work. And we made a few adjustments and we went through a lot of growth and, and it took well over a year. I'm guessing probably closer to 15 months to build up. And this is just on the podcast side to build up a listening audience where, where we could show, hey, look, we have 50,000 listens in that time. About 15 months. It took a long time. And that's with multiple shows, posting multiple episodes day in and day out. But I look at that network now. Well over 240,000 listens. Do you realize there were there were 100,000 listens, I believe, as of April of this year. So it's it's taking off. And it's an alternative to all of these mainstream sources that have taken for granted or have developed hubris over. Well, we know what's what. And, and look, this is only one network. There are lots of them out there like that. Sam Bushman's Liberty News Network, the Fed by Ravens Media Network, which I've also helped to build. These are just a tiny handful of, of platforms from which truth can be proclaimed. And you know what? Some will fail. Some will succeed. But my point is simply this. They are being built. And I know there are people out there who are trying to do the same things that we're doing. This is the time for people who place high value on truth to step forward and to help build those platforms. And, and it doesn't have to look exactly like this one or that one. You, you know, there may be a better way to do it that we haven't even seen yet. But what I'm saying is if the truth matters to you. Whether you aspire to blog, whether you aspire to be a podcaster, to do videos, whatever the case may be, now is the time when your voice is most needed. Put the objections out of your mind. Put out, put out of your head the idea that, well, we've got to be to a certain point. It's got to be this perfect. Just start. That's what we did. And yeah, it's rough, and you're going to cry along the way, and you're going you're to pray that things will work out. Do it anyway. You might be surprised at the help you receive, and you might just be surprised at the impact that you can have in the process. This is The Brian Hyde Show.